Section 11 of A Description of Millennium Hall and the Country Adjacent by a Gentleman on His Travels. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Description of Millennium Hall and the Country Adjacent by Sarah Scott. The History of Lady Mary Jones, Part 1. Lady Mary was daughter to the Earl of Brumpton by his second wife, who survived the birth of her child but a few hours. The Earl died when his daughter was about ten years old, and having before his second marriage mortgaged to its full value all of his estate, which was not settled on a son born of his first lady, his daughter was left entirely destitute of provision. But as she was too young to be much affected with this circumstance, so she had little reason to regret it, when an increase of years might have awakened a sensibility to that particular. Immediately on her father's death she was taken by her aunt, Lady Sheerness, who declared she should look upon her as her own child, and indeed her indulgence verified the truth of her declaration. Lady Sheerness was a widow, her jointure considerable, and her lord at his decease left her some thousand pounds in ready money. When he died she was about twenty-five years old, with a good person and infinite vivacity, an unbridled imagination, ungovernable spirits, with a lively arch countenance, and a certain quaintness of expression gained her the reputation of being possessed of a great deal of wit. Her lord, in the decline of life, had been captivated by her youthful charms when she was but sixteen years old. His extreme fondness for her led him to indulge her vivacity in all its follies, and frequently while he was laid up at home in the gout, her ladyship was the finest and gayest woman at every place of public resort. Often when the acuteness of his pains obliged him to seek relief from the soporific influence of opium, she collected half the town, and though his rest was disturbed every moment by a succession of impetuous raps at the door, he was never offended. On the contrary, he thought himself obliged to her for staying at home, which she had assured him was because she could not bear to go abroad when he was so ill. This, as the greatest mark of her tenderness he ever received, he failed not to acknowledge with gratitude. She scarcely took more pleasure in having a train of admirers than his lordship felt from it. His vanity was flattered in seeing his wife the object of admiration, and he fancied himself much envied for so valuable a possession. Her coquetry charmed him as the follies of that vivacity of which he was so fond. He had no tincture of jealousy in his whole composition, and acknowledged as favours conferred on himself the attentions paid to his wife. The Lord Sheerness's conduct may appear rather uncommon, yet it seemed the result of some discernment, or at least his lady's disposition was such as justifies this opinion. She had received a genteel education. No external accomplishments had been neglected, but her understanding and principles were left to the imperfection of nature corrupted by custom. Religion was thought too serious a thing for so young a person. The opinion of the world was always represented to her as the true criterion by which to judge of everything, and fashion supplied the place of every more material consideration. With a mind thus formed, she entered the world at sixteen, surrounded with pomp and splendor, with every gratification at her command that an affluent fortune and an indulgent husband could bestow. 
by nature inclined to no vice, free from all dangerous passions, the charm of innocence accompanied her vivacity, undesigning and artless. Her follies were originally the consequences of her situation, not constitutional, though habit engrafted them so strongly that at length they appeared natural to her. Surrounded with every snare that can entrap a youthful mind, she became a victim to dissipation and the love of fashionable pleasures. Destitute of any stable principles, she was carried full sail down the stream of folly. In the love of coquetry and gaming few equalled her. No one could exceed her in the pursuit of every trifling amusement. She had neither leisure nor inclination to think. Her life passed in an uninterrupted succession of engagements without reflection on the past or consideration on the future consequences. The lightness of her conduct exposed her to the addresses of many gay men during the life of her lord, but an attachment was too serious a thing for her, and while her giddiness and perpetual dissipation exposed her to suspicion, they preserved her from the vice of which she was suspected. She daily passed through the ordeal trial. Every step she took was dangerous, but she came off unhurt. Her reputation was indeed doubtful, but her rank and fortune and the continual amusements which her house yielded to her acquaintance rendered her generally caressed. Her lord's death made no alteration in her way of life, and as her mind was never fixed an hour on any subject, she thought not long enough of marriage to prepare for that state and therefore continued a widow. She was upwards of forty years old and changed in anything but her person when she took Lady Mary Jones. I will not say into her care, for that word never entered into her vocabulary, but into her house. Lady Mary had naturally a very good understanding and much vivacity. The latter met with everything that could assist in its increase in the company of Lady Sheerness. The other was never thought of. She was initiated into every diversion at an age when other girls are confined to their nursery. Her aunt was fond of her, and therefore inclined to indulgence. Besides, she thought the knowledge of the world, which in her opinion was the most essential qualification for a woman of fashion, was no way to be learnt but by an early acquaintance with it. Lady Mary's age and vivacity rendered this doctrine extremely agreeable. She was pretty and very lively and entertaining in her conversation. Therefore, at fifteen years of age, she became the most caressed person in every company. She entered into all the fashionable tastes, was coquettish and extravagant, for Lady Sheerness very liberally furnished her with money and felt a sort of pride in having a niece distinguished by the fineness of her dress and her profusion in every expense, as it was well known to have no other source but in her ladyship's generosity. Though Lady Mary received much adulation and was the object of general courtship, yet she had no serious love made to her till she was between sixteen and seventeen when she accompanied her aunt to scarborough she was there very assiduously followed by a gentleman reputed of a large fortune in wales he was gay and well-bred his person moderately agreeable his understanding specious and his manner insinuating there was nothing very engaging in the man except the appearance of a very tender attachment she had before found great pleasure in being admired, but her vanity was still more flattered in being loved. She knew herself capable of amusing, but till now had never been able to give either pleasure or pain according to her sovereign decree. She grew partial to Mr. Lenman, that was the name of her lover, 
because he raised her consequence in her own eyes she played off a thousand airs of coquetry which she had never yet had an opportunity to exercise for want of a real lover sometimes she would elate him by encouragement at others freeze him into despair by her affected coldness she was never two hours the same because she delighted in seeing the variety of passions she could excite mr lenman was certainly sufficiently tormented but so great a proficiency in coquetry at so early an age was no discouragement to his hopes there are no people so often the dupe of their own arts as coquettes especially when they become so very early in life therefore instead of being damped in his pursuit he adapted his behaviour to her foible vanity and by assuming an air of indifference could when he pleased put an end to her affected reserve though he was not so impolite a lover as quite to deny her the gratification she expected from her little arts he found means however to command her attention by the very serious proposal of matrimony she had no great inclination for the state but the novelty pleased her the pleasure she received from his addresses she mistook for love and imagined herself deeply enamoured when she was in reality only extremely flattered the common error of her age in the company she had kept matrimony appeared in no very formidable light she did not see that it abridged a woman of any of the liberties she already enjoyed it only afforded her an opportunity of choosing her own diversions whereas her taste in those points sometimes differed from her aunt's to whom however she was obliged to submit thus prepossessed both in favour of her lover and his proposal she listened to him with more attention than she chose he should perceive but he was too well acquainted with the pretty arts of coquetry not to see through them he therefore took courage to insinuate his desire of a private marriage and ventured to persuade her to take a trip with him to the northern side of Berwick-upon-Tweed. Lady Mary could not see, as Mr. Lenman's fortune was considerable and hers entirely precarious, why he was so apprehensive of not being accepted by her aunt, but there was something spirited in those northern journeys that had always been the objects of her envy. An adventure was the supreme pleasure of life, and these pretty flights gave marriage all the charms of romance to be forced to fly into another kingdom to be married gave her an air of consequence vulgar people might tie the knot at every parish church but people of distinction should do everything with an éclat she imagined it very probable that her aunt would consent to her union with mr lenman for though he was not equal to her in birth yet he was her superior in fortune but yet she looked upon his fears of a refusal as meritorious since he assured her they arose from his extreme affection which filled him with terrors on the least prospect of losing her should lady sheerness he urged reject his proposal she might then be extremely offended with their marrying after they knew her disapprobation but if they did it without her knowledge she would not have room to complain of downright disobedience and if it was displeasing to her yet being done and past remedy she would be inclined to make the best of what was unavoidable and forgive what she could not prevent these arguments were sufficiently solid for a girl of sixteen who never thought before and could scarcely be said to do so then lady mary complied with his plan and the day was fixed when they were to take this lively step their several stages settled and many more arts and contrivances to avoid discovery concerted than they were likely to have any occasion for 
but in that variety of little schemes and romantic expedients her chief pleasure in this intended marriage consisted the day before that on which lady mary and her lover were to set out for scotland she was airing with lady sheerness when one of the horses taking fright they were overturned down a very steep declivity lady sheerness was but very little hurt but lady mary was extremely bruised one side of her face received a blow which swelled it so violently that her eye was quite closed and her body was all over contusions she was taken up senseless entirely stunned by the shock as soon as she was carried home she was put to bed a fever ensued and she lay a fortnight in a deplorable condition though her life was not thought to be in danger her pain for the greatest part of that time was too acute to suffer her to reflect much on the different manner in which she had intended to employ that period and when her mind became more at liberty her disappointment did not sit too heavy on her spirits for as her heart was not really touched she considered the delay which this ill-timed accident had occasioned without any great concern and rather pleased herself with thinking that she should give an uncommon proof of spirit in undertaking a long journey so soon after she was recovered from a very evident proof that travelling is not free from danger as she had during this confinement more time to think than all her life had yet afforded her a doubt would sometimes occur whether she did right in entering into such an engagement without the consent of her aunt to whom she was much obliged but these scruples soon vanished and she wondered how such odd notions came into her head never having heard the word duty used but to ridicule somebody who made it the rule of their conduct by all she had been able to observe pleasure was the only aim of persons of genius whose thoughts never wandered but from one amusement to another and quote, why should not she be guided by inclination as well as other people unquote. that one question decided the point and all doubts were banished before the blackness which succeeded the swelling was worn off her face and consequently before she could appear abroad a young lady of her acquaintance who out of charity relinquished the diversions of the place to sit an afternoon with lady mary told her as a whimsical piece of news she had just heard and to tell which was the real motive for her kind visit having long felt a secret envy of lady mary that her lover mr lenman had been married some years to a young lady of small fortune whom he treated on that account with so little ceremony that for a considerable time he did not own his marriage and since he acknowledged it had kept her constantly at his house in wales this was indeed news of consequence to lady mary but she was little inclined to believe it and inquired what proof there was of this fact the young lady replied that she had it from a relation of hers lately arrived at scarborough who having been often in mr lenman's neighbourhood was well acquainted both with him and his wife and had in a pretty large company where she was present asked him after mrs lenman's health to which he made as short an answer as he could but such as shewed there was such a person and his confusion on this question made her relation inquire what could be the meaning of it which all the company could easily explain lady mary was prodigiously disconcerted with this intelligence her informer imagined the visible agitation of her spirits proceeded from her attachment to mr lenman but in reality it was the effect of terror she was frightened to think how near she was becoming the object of general ridicule and disgrace wedded to a married man and duped by his cunning for she immediately perceived why her aunt was not to be led into the secret 
How contemptible a figure must she afterwards have made in the world! There was something in this action of Mr. Lennon's very uncommon. Fashionable vices and follies had, in her opinion, received a sanction from custom, but this was of a different and a deeper dye, and little as she had been used to reflect on good and evil in any other light than as pleasant and unpleasant, she conceived a horror at this action. After her visitor departed, she began to reflect on the luckiness of the overturn, which had obstructed her rash design, and admiring her good fortune, would certainly have offered rich sacrifices on the shrine of chance, had there been a temple there, erected to that deity. While her mind was filled with these impressions, the nurse, who had attended her in her sickness and was not yet dismissed, entered the room crying with joy and told her that she had just received the news of the ship's being lost, wherein her son was to have embarked had he not been seized with a fit of sickness two days before it set sail, which made it impossible for him to go on board. The poor woman was profuse in her acknowledgments for God's great mercy, who had by this means prevented the destruction of her dear child. Quote, to be sure, added she, I shall never again repine at anything that happens to me. How vexed I was at this disappointment, and thought myself the most unfortunate creature in the world because my son missed of such a good post as he was to have had in this ship. I was continually fretting about it, and fancied that so bad a setting out was a sign the poor boy would be unlucky all his life. How different things turn out from what we expect. Had not this misfortune, as I thought it, happened, he would now have been at the bottom of the sea, and my poor heart would have been broken. Well, to be sure God is very kind, I hope my boy will always be thankful for this providence and love the Lord who has thus preserved him. End quote. This poor woman spoke a new language to Lady Mary. She knew indeed that God had made the world and had sent her into it, but she had never thought of his taking any further care about her. She had heard that he had forbidden murder and stealing and adultery, and that after death he would judge people for those crimes, and this, she supposed, was the utmost extent of his attention. But the joy she felt for her own deliverance from a misfortune into which she was so near involving herself, and the resemblance there was in the means of her preservation to that for which her nurse was so thankful, communicated to her some of the same sensations, and she felt a gratitude to him, who she imagined might possibly be more careful over his creatures than she had ever yet supposed. These impressions, though very strong at the time, wore off after she got abroad. A renewal of the same dissipation scattered them with every other serious thought, and she again entered into the hurry of every trifling amusement. Mr. Lenman, as soon as he found that his marriage was become public, despairing of the success of his scheme, left the place before Lady Mary was out of her confinement, afraid of meeting the reproachful glances of a woman whom he designed to injure, and whose innocence, notwithstanding her levity, gave her dignity in the eyes of a man who had really conceived an ardent passion for her. Lady Sheerness and her niece stayed but a short time at Scarborough after the latter was perfectly recovered, the season being over. They returned to London and all the gaiety it affords, and though the town was at that time not full, yet they had so general an acquaintance, and Lady Sheerness rendered her house so agreeable that she never wanted company. Every season has its different amusements, and these ladies had an equal taste for everything that bore the name of diversion. 
It is true they were not always entertained, but they always expected to be so, and promised themselves amends the following day for the disappointment of the present. If they failed of pleasure, they had dissipation, and were in too continual a hurry to have time to ask themselves whether they were amused. If they saw others were so, they imagined themselves must be equally entertained, or if the dullness of the place was too great to be overlooked, they charged it on their own want of spirits, and complained of a languor which rendered them incapable of receiving pleasure. Lady Mary, fortunately, had had no confidant in her design of running away with Mr. Lenman, and the part he had enacted was so dishonourable he could not wish to publish it. Her imprudence was therefore known only to herself, and the fear of disobliging her aunt by letting her intended disobedience reach her ears induced her to conceal it. Otherwise, most probably, in some unguarded hour, she would have amused her acquaintance with the relation, embellished with whatever circumstances would have rendered it amusing, for the love of being entertaining, and the vanity of being listened to with eagerness, will lead people of ungoverned vivacity to expose their greatest failings. Lady Mary's levity encouraged her admirers to conceive hopes which her real innocence should have repressed. Among this number was Lord Robert St. George. He was both in person and manner extremely pleasing, but what was a stronger charm to a young woman of Lady Mary's turn of mind, he was a very fashionable man, much caressed by the ladies, and supposed to have been successful in his addresses to many. This is always a great recommendation to the gay and giddy, and a circumstance which should make a man shunned by every woman of virtue, secures him a favourable reception from the most fashionable part of our sex." lady mary would have accused herself of want of taste had she not liked a man whom so many others had loved she saw his attachment to her in the light of a triumph over several of her acquaintance and when a man raises a woman in her own esteem it is seldom long before he gains a considerable share of it for himself vanity represented lord robert as a conquest of importance and his qualifications rendered him a very pleasing dangler Lady Mary liked him, as well as her little leisure to attend to one person, would permit. She felt that pleasure on his approach, that pain at his departure, that solicitude for his presence, and that jealousy at the civilities he paid any other woman, which girls look upon as the symptoms of a violent passion, whereas if they were to examine their hearts very nicely they would find that only a small part of it proceeded from love. Lord Robert was too well skilled in these matters, to remain ignorant of the impression he had made, and if he had been less quick-sighted, the frequent intelligence he received of it would not have suffered him long to remain in ignorance. Lady Mary, vain of her conquest and proud of being in love, as is usual at her age, let every intimate into her confidence, and by mutual communication they talked a moderate liking into a passion. Each of these young ladies were as ready to tell their friends secrets as their own, till the circle of that confidence included all their acquaintance. From many of these Lord Robert heard of Lady Mary's great attachment to him, which served not a little to flatter his hopes. He imagined he should meet with an easy conquest of a giddy, thoughtless girl, entirely void of all fixed principles, and violently in love with him, for his vanity exaggerated her passion. In this persuasion he supposed nothing was wanting to his success but opportunity, for which he took care not to wait long. He was intimately acquainted with an old lady, whom he often met at Lady Sheerness's, whose disposition he knew well suited to his purpose, 
she had before proved convenient to him and others, not indeed by unrewarded assistance, for as her fortune was too small to supply the expenses of the genteel way of life she aimed at, she was glad to have that deficiency made up by presents which she was therefore very assiduous to deserve. This lady, as she was a woman of fashion and lived in figure, was politely received in all gay companies who were not disposed to take the trouble of examining scrupulously into her character. She had one material recommendation. She played high at cards, and omitted nothing to make her house agreeable, and few were more crowded. This lady had often been visited by Lady Sheerness and her niece, though generally at the same time with the multitude. But one day, when she knew the former was confined at home by indisposition, she invited Lady Mary, whose aunt's complaisance would not suffer her to refuse the invitation on her account. Lord Robert was there, and as it was only a private party, there were no card-tables but in the outward room. The mistress of the house drew Lady Mary into the inner, on pretense of having something particular to say to her. Lord Robert soon followed. The conversation grew lively between him and Lady Mary, and when the convenient gentlewoman saw them thoroughly engaged and animated in discourse, she quietly withdrew, returning to the company whose attention was much too fixed on the cards to perceive that any one was missing. And to keep their thoughts more entirely engrossed, she betted with great spirit at every table. Lady Mary did not perceive she was left alone with Lord Robert till the growing freedom of his address made her observe it, but as prudence was not one of her virtues, she was not at all disconcerted with this tight at tight, nor did it lessen her vivacity. Lord Robert, encouraged by her easiness on the occasion, declared himself so plainly that she was no longer able to blind herself to his views, and with surprise found seduction was his aim, if that word may be used for a man's designs against the honour of a woman who seemed so careless of it. Her heart was entirely innocent of vice, and she could not imagine how his lordship could conceive it possible to succeed with her in intentions of that sort. She had always thought such imprudence in a woman a very great folly, for in a graver light she had never beheld it, and shewed herself offended at his supposing her capable of such a weakness, but without that honest indignation which a woman would have felt who had acted on better principles. Lord Robert was not much discouraged. A woman is under great disadvantage when her lover knows himself to be so much beloved that she dare not let her anger continue long, for fear of losing him for ever. He was well convinced that mere worldly prudence could not make a lasting resistance against a strong passion, and such he flattered himself hers was. He therefore ventured to resume the subject, but his perseverance increased Lady Mary's surprise, and she began to think herself affronted. Her partiality pleaded in his favour some time, but at length she thought it necessary to retire, notwithstanding his utmost endeavours to detain her. As she left him, she desired him to learn to believe better of her understanding. She perceived it no otherwise, an insult. Her education had deprived her of that delicacy which should have made her feel a severe mortification at the little share she had of the good opinion of a man she loved. On the contrary, she esteemed the affront she had received a proof of his affection. She had often, indeed, heard the name of virtue, but by the use she had known made of the word, it appeared to her to have no other signification than prudence. She was not at all shocked with Lord Robert's conduct, but resolved not to concur in his views, because she had no inclination to do so, that overbalanced her very moderate degree of prudence. 
On this account, she determined to avoid being again alone with him. Lady Mary's natural sense gave rise to some doubts, whether the very open professions of gallantry which Lord Robert had made to her were common. She had been frequently addressed with freedom, but his behaviour seemed more than commonly presuming. In order to find what others would think of it, she often turned the conversation to those sort of subjects, and was a good deal startled one day by a lively but amiable and modest young lady who said she believed no man that was not an absolute fool, or at the time intoxicated, ever insulted a woman with improper behaviour or discourse, if he had not from some impropriety in her conduct seen reason to imagine it would not be ill-received. And I am sure, added she, quote, if such a thing was ever to befall me, it would convert me into a starched prude for fear that hereafter innocent vivacity might be mistaken for vicious levity. I should take myself very severely to task, convinced the offence was grounded on my conduct, for I am well persuaded there is something so respectable in virtue that no man will dare to insult it, except when a great disparity in circumstances encourages an abandoned wretch to take advantage of the necessity of the indigent. Unquote. Lady Mary was greatly affected by this sentiment. She began to reflect on her own behaviour, and could not but see that Lord Robert might, without any great danger of offending, hazard the behaviour he had been guilty of, since in effect she had not conceived much anger against him, and though she had hitherto avoided being again alone with him, yet she had not shown any very great marks of displeasure. She now watched with attention the conduct of other young ladies, many of them seemed to act on the same principles as herself, but she observed that she, who had by her declaration first raised in her suspicions about her own behaviour, had a very different manner from hers. She was indeed gay and lively, but her vivacity seemed under the direction of modesty. In her greatest flow of spirits, she hazarded no improper expression, nor suffered others to do so without a manifest disgust. She saw that the gentlemen who conversed with her preserved an air of respect and deference, which they laid aside when they addressed women whose vivacity degenerated into levity. She now began to perceive some impropriety in her own behaviour, and endeavoured to correct it, but nothing is more difficult than to recover a dignity once lost. When she attempted to restrain her gaiety with improper bounds, she was laughed at for her affectation. If, when the conversation was improper, she assumed an air of gravity, she was accused of the vapours, or received hints that she was out of humour. These were great discouragements in her endeavours to correct the errors of her conduct, but gave her less pain than the difficulties she was under about Lord Robert St. George. He still continued to address her with a freedom of manners which she now perceived was insulting. She wanted to discourage his insolence, but feared giving a total offence to a man who had too great a share of her affections. She was apprehensive that if she quite deprived him of his hopes, she should entirely lose him and he would attach himself to some other woman. This situation was dangerous, and Lord Robert knew the power he had over her. The dilemma she was in really abated the vivacity she wished to restrain, but it was immediately attributed to the anxiety of a lovesick mind, and she was exposed to continual raillery on that subject. Her lover secretly triumphed, flattering himself that her passion was now combating on his side. In this situation, she was unable to determine what part to act, and all her intimates were too much like herself to be capable of advising her. 
Thus distressed, she resolved to cultivate the acquaintance of the young lady who had opened her eyes to her own conduct, and try what relief she could obtain from her advice. This was easily effected. Lady Mary was too amiable not to have any advances she made answered with pleasure, and intimacy soon ensued. Lady Mary communicated to her new friend all the difficulties of her situation, and confessed to her the true state of her heart. That young lady was not void of compassion for her uneasiness, but told her that while she was encouraging Lord Robert's passion, she was losing his esteem, which alone was worth preserving. Quote, I allow, said she, that by depriving him of his hopes you may put an end to his addresses, but consider, my dear Lady Mary, what satisfaction they can afford you if they are only the result of a fondness for your person, which would lose all its charms for him as soon as it became familiarized by possession. You would then at once find yourself both neglected and despised by the man for whose sake you'd rendered yourself truly despicable. I know you are incapable of an action that would at the same time rid you of his esteem and of the more valuable consciousness of knowing yourself to be truly estimable. I am not of the opinion of those who think chastity the only virtue of consequence to our sex, but it is certainly so very essential to us that she who violates it seldom preserves any other. And how should she? For if there are others as great, greater there cannot be. There is none so necessary. But herein I know you are of my opinion. I only therefore entreat you to show Lord Robert that you are so. Do not let him mistake your real sentiments, nor in order to preserve his love, if custom will oblige me to call his passion by that name. Leave him reason to flatter himself that you will fall a victim to his arts and your own weakness." "'Consider with yourself,' continued she, "'which is most desirable, his esteem or his courtship. "'If you really love him, you can make no comparison between them, "'for surely there cannot be a greater suffering "'than to stand low in the opinion of any person "'who has a great share of our affections. "'If he neglects you on finding that his criminal designs cannot succeed, "'he certainly does not deserve your love, "'and the consciousness of having raised yourself in his opinion "'and forced him to esteem you, "'together with the pleasure of reflecting that you have acted as you ought, "'will afford you consolation.'" These arguments had due weight with Lady Mary. She determined to follow her friend's advice and submit to the consequences. Lady Sheerness had company that evening and among the rest Lord Robert. He was, as usual, assiduous in his addresses to Lady Mary, who, withdrawing to a little distance from the company, told him that she had too long suffered his lordship to continue a courtship, which he had plainly acknowledged, was made with such views as gave her great reason to blame herself for ever having listened to it. She acknowledged that the levity of her conduct had been such as lessened her right to reproach him. Encouraged by her errors, and presuming perhaps on a supposition that he was not unpleasing to her, he had ventured to insult her in a flagrant manner, but without complaining of what was past, she thought herself obliged to tell him his pursuit was in vain, that the errors in her conduct were the fault of education, nor might she so soon have been convinced of them if his behaviour had not awakened her to a sense of some impropriety in her own conduct, which, conscious of the innocence of her intentions, she had never suspected. She then told him that if he did not entirely desist from all addresses to her, she should be obliged to acquaint her aunt with his behaviour who could not suffer such an insult on her niece to pass unresented. As soon as she had thus explained herself to Lord Robert, she mingled with the crowd, though with a mind little inclined to join in their conversation, 
but her young friend was there and endeavoured to support her spirits which were overcome by the effort she had made this young lady soon after went into the country and returned no more to london lord robert was so disconcerted that he left the room as soon as lady mary had thus given him his dismissal as their acquaintance lay much in the same set they frequently saw each other lord robert endeavoured to conquer lady mary's resolution by sometimes exciting her jealousy and at others making her the object of his addresses but she continued steady in her conduct though with many secret pangs he began at last to converse with her with greater ease to himself as his passion abated when no longer nourished by hope and notwithstanding a remainder of pique he could not forbear treating her with a respect which her conduct deserved for he plainly saw she had acted in contradiction to her own heart this alteration in his behaviour afforded her great satisfaction and though her love was not extinguished it ceased to be very painful when she was persuaded she had obtained some share of his esteem end of section eleven read by sandra twenty twenty one